Well, it's so good for us to be back. We love um, coming here. It's, it's an unusual experience when you're missionaries in a foreign country and you have a, a church like Northwood that supports you and you get to see people maybe once every three or four years. And yet that seems so rare or so seldom. But then when it happens, you feel at home. And that's a wonderful feeling. So thank you for making us feel at home. I'm interested in knowing um, outside, well, Neil and Dee, I, you guys were here in 95 when we first came. I'd like uh, you to raise your hand if there are others who were here. Karen was here. Yep, okay, great. Yeah, it, it is wonderful that this church has been so faithful to us all of those years and we are really grateful. And you know what's extra wonderful is the fact that over just the last couple of years, there have been all these fresh connections with people from Northwood. And so the Cruets and the Dardiches came in um, October 2022. And we had an amazing time with them. And then the Rules and Sarah were with us last October. And I don't know, some of you may remember that the pastor of our Romanian church, his name's Adiel Bunescu, he came here with his whole family. Does anybody remember that in August? And so these connections just keep growing, and it means so much to us, and it feels even more like we're coming home. We're getting to spend two weeks with you, and we're really grateful to the rules for housing us during this time, and we feel like we're just right at home with y'all. So thanks for for caring for us well. We've gotten to go to a couple of small groups. We're going to get to hang out with people one-on-one or two-on-two, depending. And, um, yeah, we really feel like we belong. Um, Northwood blessed us in particular through that visit of the Kruitz and the, the Dardiches because, you know, as missionaries on the field, you need to be pastured too. And when you guys came... That was an extraordinary week because it was unlike other mission trips where we were just jumping into action, doing a lot of stuff. We got to introduce them to a lot of our ministries, and um, they were able to help out in different ways, and we can tell you about that during the, the members' meeting. But the cool thing was that you listened so well to us, and we were able to share our heart about our future and we receive guidance from the Lord through the love of Northwood and through sending those guys. So thank you so much. Um, we have been in Romania, as Mitchell said, for 28 years now. And we have played a lot of different roles there. And a lot of them have had to do with the church. But we've also been involved in working, helping out organizations in Romania that are, that are spreading the gospel in other ways that are connected to the unique problems of that country. And one of the unique problems is that Romania has a lot of orphans. There are a lot of children that have been abandoned, and you may have heard about this going all the way back to the 1990s, um, that there, and that problem has continued to today. But there's an organization called the Romania Without Orphans that we were able to, um, that we've been able to partner with. And, Dream about a day when there are not going to be any more orphans in Romania. Well, that organization is not just wanting to get orphans into homes, but they're also wanting to care for the adoptive families who take them in. And so when Sarah and the Rules came on their visit um, this July, um, we were able to go to a camp called Refresh, where we, were, we went to the, the mountains of Romania 
And, um, and we were caring for the families that have adopted these children. And they, um, during that time, um, in the past, they have had a theme of heroes. And so you heard Rory talking about heroes a little bit in the introduction. And they had thought, you know, in the past, we have talked about heroes from the world of adoption. But this year, let's take it a step forward and talk about heroes from the Bible. And they chose Daniel as the big hero. That's, that's what they called it. And so we had an opportunity um, during that week to um, introduce the families, the adults, and the children to more about the life of Daniel, who we all know is actually not the big hero, but he was, he was definitely um, a hero. And so during the camp, it happened that they, they asked our group to, to plan a skit about the big hero. And so our, um, the, the part of the book of Daniel that they chose for us was Daniel 3. And so I'd like you to see um, a little snippet from the, the skit that we did. So I got, I got to play the, the role of the mean guy, Nebuchadnezzar. And you see that the ladies were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Mark um, got to be the fourth guy in the fire. So, and he did a great job as <laughs> that mysterious person who comes in. We, you can see that we had to use a lot of creativity without any costumes. And we managed to get this um, film of some fire. And anyway, it came out, came out pretty good in the end. But you know... The surprise for me was when I heard last fall about the preaching schedule, and I saw that Mitchell um, was going to be, or I mean, and together with Rory, I think, was going to be preaching through Daniel. I thought, wow, Daniel. And then I heard what week um, was going to fall to me. It was Daniel 3, and I thought, Lord, apparently you have a lot to say to me about Daniel 3, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, I'm really grateful for that because there is so much to glean from this um, important chapter of the Bible. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've heard that the Israelites during this time in their history, they were living as exiles in a foreign land and had a lot of difficulties as they had to decide in what areas do we compromise with the culture and in what areas do we need to stand up and be different from the culture? And we've realized that that's a lot like our world today, that we are also called to be exiles. And more and more, we feel like exiles in our home culture here in the United States. And so God is calling us to discover from this book of Daniel what it means to live as exiles with passion for the Lord Jesus and knowing in our own lives when are the times when we're supposed to go along with the culture to be part of things and when are the times we're supposed to be separate from the culture. And that takes a lot of wisdom. And so it's good that we have this book to, um, to see God's wisdom um, about those types of decisions. Um, let's um, pray and ask the Lord to, to bless um, this time in the Word. Here we are again, Lord, this Sunday morning, your church. We look around and realize that we've lost so much of the influence we once had over culture and society. Sometimes we're tempted to despair 
over what's been lost. Or feeling desperate, we fight to regain the power we once had. But as we slow down before you, take a deep breath, we realize that this world has never been our home. This is not the first time God's people have experienced such a dramatic change in culture. Lord, we see that this ancient book, Daniel, describes another people who felt isolated just like we do sometimes. We see them here living in exile, far from home in Jerusalem, far away in Babylon. And sometimes we feel like exiles in our own land, God. Please teach us how to live with neither despair nor combativeness. Fill us instead with faithfulness to Jesus and hope in you, our sovereign God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're ready to receive God's word, I'd like you to say, I'm ready. ready. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You got a good one going there, Mitchell. (laughs) Before we launch into chapter 3, which, by the way, maybe somebody could call out what page that is on the community Bibles out there. So, 739. Um, and, And remember that that Bible can be a gift to you if you don't have a Bible at home. Um, Before we launch into chapter 3, which has the the big, bold 3, go back just a couple of verses. We're going to read from um, chapter 2, verse 46. You'll see a small 46, and we'll read the last four verses. If you remember last week in Mitchell's message, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream about a statue. Anybody remember that? And that statue, um, he wanted his wise men and his magicians to tell him, what did I dream? (laughs) They said, nobody can tell you what you dreamed. We can maybe interpret it. And he said, no, I want you to tell me what the dream was. And Daniel was the only one who could do it. And then Daniel interpreted the dream for him. And he was so amazed that look how the, the chapter ends like this with starting with verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel And he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. So, we end chapter 2 on a really positive note. It's like the king has gotten it. Like He understands that God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and it seems like the battle is won. But like Mitchell mentioned last week, the truth is that Nebuchadnezzar had not repented in his heart. He was just honoring God, but his life wasn't changing. We don't know how much time passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'd be really curious to know, but there's no way to find that out. But we do know something happened. Nebuchadnezzar, who was so excited about the God of gods, forgot all about him by chapter 3. And so whether it was just a couple of days or whether it was several years, he wandered because his heart hadn't been changed. He had just changed his mind, and it had seemed 
um, like a wise thing to, um, to honor God. And so he needed more than that. And um, because he wasn't transformed, then you're going to see this 180 he does starting in chapter 3. We'll read the first seven verses. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth, breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the magistrates, the justices, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that he had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and they worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, you remember at our summer camp, they asked us to talk about a big hero. The truth is that the world is always looking for a big hero to worship. And we're part of that. We also are looking for a big hero. Everybody wants somebody to worship because that's the way that God made us. Nebuchadnezzar knew that and he thought, I'm going to work this to my advantage. I'll give people just what they want. I'll give them something, somebody to worship. And so he started this huge project on the plain of Dura. Now, interesting thing, you realize this is happening in Babylon well, if you go back earlier in the Bible, you know the story of the Tower of Babel? Well, that Tower of Babel was built pretty much in the same place. Shinar and Dura are basically the same place on the map. And so they again are going to a place where sin had been committed in the past. And Nebuchadnezzar is choosing that place to erect this statue. You can picture how much work this involved. He needed to build out there on the site a massive kiln where he could make all the bricks that were going to go into building it. He needed to bring in all the supplies. You can imagine how many slaves were involved in this massive project because we're not talking a small statue. 90 feet is a lot. I, um, I look to see how big the Statue of Liberty is, and it's just a little bit bigger than that. It's about 100 feet, the Lady Liberty herself. And so if you can picture the Statue of Liberty, back in these ancient times, they built something that was almost as tall as that. And Nebuchadnezzar thought, well, now how, how can I make this like the biggest celebration, like a really big deal, like bigger than Gasparilla? Wasn't that yesterday? I want to make this huge. And so he invited, in fact, he forced people to come from all the different provinces. And at the time, I mean, Babylon, this is the world power of those days. So people came from 
everywhere. And you heard that long list. I think the, the biblical author here is using a little bit of satire by naming all the people. Like he wanted every single person, every shape and size. And, and he brought them all um, there to, to be part of this um, worship. So who was the image? Um, it doesn't say. And it's interesting in Scripture when Scripture doesn't tell us something specifically, there's a good reason for that silence. And, of course, some people have wondered and thought, and they may be right about this, that it was Nebuchadnezzar himself who was the statue, but it could have been one of the gods that they have. I'm not sure who it was, but the Bible's silent. And that can be helpful to us in a way. Um, if you were to think about um, what, what that idol might look like, um, I was just thinking if we took a, a second to consider, like all of us in our lives tend to, as much as we're following Jesus, there are times when we begin to look at other things, whether it be a person, whether it be an activity. Um, and it can be something that is very bad and we know it's harmful to us that we're drawn to and it becomes an idol for us. Or it could be something very good like a relationship which is beautiful in the eyes of God, but we begin to make that the primary thing in our life. And so if you were to look at that image, which we don't know what the face is like, what would the face be for you? What would be the thing, the activity, or the person who might tend to draw you away to your, from your wholehearted devotion to Jesus? Think about that for a second. Lord, as we imagine these people bowing down and we think, I would never do that, we're also aware that we have idols in our lives that push you aside. And it helps us if we can identify those. And so give us some clarity about what are the things that we put as competitors to our love for you. And Lord, we want to get rid of those. We want to tear them down. We want to root them out. And so help us in that task. Amen. When I did the same exercise this week, when I looked at it, what I saw was an image of myself. Because so many times, even when I'm wanting to serve the Lord, what I'm really concerned about at the end of the day is, is this going to, is whatever happening going to make me comfortable? Is it going to be profitable? Is it going to be enjoyable to me? Is it going to further my reputation? And, that is just so sad in God's presence. And so I, I don't want to live that life. I, I repent when I see that inside myself. I repent of the fact that I put bricks and mortar and I begin to build something which resembles me. That is not the life God has called us to. And so whatever it is that you may be building, and there may be several of them in your life, just know that um, God has such a higher calling for us. Now, let's change gears um, a little bit. And I thought it might be interesting if we looked at this from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. What if you were Nebuchadnezzar? Let's say you're living your life without God. You've kind of forgotten about all this stuff that happened with Daniel. And you weren't too happy about the idea that this statue, you were only the head and not the whole statue. And then the statue um, doesn't stand, you know, the test of time. Those things would have upset you. But you would think, wow, 
how can, how can I move my program forward? Because whatever the face was on there, it was clear that Nebuchadnezzar, he was promoting his own agenda as a dictator in this land. And just think how hard it must have been for him. If you're in his shoes, together everybody in all the provinces, and you'd think, and now how am I going to get them all to bow down? And what if like, there's some of these people who speak other languages, and, and how am I going to bring this together? I mean, this is an organizational nightmare <clears throat> of trying to get all these people together and getting everybody to do exactly the same. Have you ever tried to herd people and get them to do something like that? I think even in those days, it was hard. And so he thought, how can I make sure 100% that this is going to happen? And he got all these instruments lined up so that everybody could hear, regardless of what language you spoke, you would get the idea when you hear the bagpipe. I don't know what kind of bagpipe they have, but that's what it said in my Bible. That there's a guy out there playing like some air instrument and they're banging on things, blowing horns. Everybody would know. But he thought, but what if somebody doesn't want to bow down? And that's when he came up with the idea. Oh, yeah, I've got that brick kiln over there. What if we heat that thing up? As hot as it can be, then we say, if anybody doesn't obey, we're going to throw them in there. And so I can imagine if I was in his shoes on that day, I'd be like waking up early, like, I hope this is going to work. I hope I can pull it off. And then the, the thing comes off without a hitch. Can you imagine looking across that huge plain, tens, even hundreds of thousands of people, and everybody, when they heard that sound, every one of them bowed down. And what a feeling he would have had. But, and that would have been a bad day for us, but there were some people, even though they weren't in his line of sight, who were faithful to the Lord. So let's see what, when his advisors, the magicians, came running over to him, let's see what um, they had to say. And this begins with verse um, 12. There are certain, this is what we heard Sarah read just a little while ago. There were certain Jews who had been appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. How terrifying. But praise God that not everybody bowed down. 
There were three people who did not. And you see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that our choice of of who our big hero is going to be is a matter of life and death. It was for them and it is for us. The stakes were high and they knew the stakes were high. They put God first. They didn't bow down. But were they seen? They might have been. I don't know if they were in the back of the crowd or where they were. But apparently Nebuchadnezzar didn't see them. And it seemed like they'd escaped everybody's notice. But not everybody because there were these guys, these magicians, the Chaldeans. And they were watching like hawks to see. Because they were Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand people. And I'm sure that out of jealousy and their own pride, they wanted to make sure that they were the ones who got to tell him, you know, if there was somebody who wasn't lining up. And they were passionate about what they were doing, but for purely selfish reasons, they were jealous of these free men who didn't have to bow down to the, to the idol. Now, a little aside, you may be wondering, where's Daniel? And we talked about that at the Dardich's house last night, and we arrived at the conclusion that we don't know. And, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It seems very likely, as somebody said at the study, that he wouldn't have bowed down to this image. It could be that because he had a different role from his three friends, that he was in a different place. He might have been an emissary somewhere at this point. We don't know. But I think there is something that's important about the fact that he doesn't appear. Like I said before in the Bible, when there's something that's kind of missing, we can learn from that as well. And one thing that we can see from that is that Daniel was not the big hero who had to do everything. And he had done a good job of investing in these younger guys. Like in chapter 1, when they didn't eat the king's food, they saw the power of God. And by taking that step of obedience, they were moving toward a bigger step of obedience. And so it wasn't that Daniel was not the principal person here. These guys can also um, take that role. That's one thing that, that we see. Um, and excuse me a second. I think I got lost here. Yeah. Yeah. So I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. But back to the story. Now notice that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't follow through on his original threat because he said when he had heated up the fiery furnace, he said that he was going to throw them in immediately. And then he finds out that somebody didn't bow down. Does he throw them in immediately at that point? No, he reenacts the entire scene. And so everything stops and he gets all of those um, flute players, bagpipe, bagpipe players, everybody together again to reenact. And in a way, he's given him a second chance. Maybe he thought that these magicians were just jealous or something. He thought, surely there's no way these guys are not going to bow down before me when we reenact this thing. And then he asks that question in verse 15, who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? Now, he thought that just means bow down or die. So I'm sure you're going to bow down. But the question is a real question. Who is the God? He didn't think there was an answer to that, but there was. And unfortunately, he had forgotten what happened in the story that was prior to this in chapter 2. But their response to his question is a major highlight for me and I think for all of us. So listen one more time and just let these words soak in. Here's the way they responded. 
Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Think about, imagine somebody um, who is at the place where they know that they're going to be killed if they stand up for the Lord, and yet in complete defiance of these commands, they're willing to stand up. What does that feel like? Can you put yourself in that place where if you knew I'm going to die if I take this stand, but you walk straight up, you know, to the person and you say, I defy you. I think I would feel an incredible freedom. I mean, that is an amazing place to be at where you are not afraid of somebody, whether death or life depends on it. And that is the place that God is bringing us to step by step in our allegiance to him, to the place where we're willing to deny ourselves and to risk anything for his kingdom. And that's the place that they were at. I call it a place of holy indifference. You're indifferent to everything that the world might do. And you're just going to follow Jesus regardless. You're detached from this and you're following the things that really matter. And I don't think anybody gets there until we understand that eternal life is real. And that they're in, and I'm not sure exactly what they were thinking, but they knew that in following the Lord, that this was going to be to God's glory and to their own blessing. And that's what we know through, um, through the gospel. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was so upset when he heard this, he heated that fiery furnace seven times. Uh, what it normally was. And um, yet they, they stand there and they're willing to be fearless. Now, fearlessness in the face of um, persecution and opposition is something that comes up in the Bible, not just in this story or not just in the rest of the Old Testament, but throughout Scripture. And I'm, I'm curious, how many of you know what CBR is? Raise your hand if you're from... Whoa, okay, that is so cool. Now, there are some of you who didn't raise your hands. And I, I just learned what CBR is recently. Um, it means community Bible reading. And these people, um, day by day, are reading the same chapters in the Bible. And then they have a chance to come together and discuss that periodically. And if you're interested in that, you saw the people near you who raised their hands. You want to jump on the bandwagon, that is a great bandwagon to jump on. So talk to somebody near you and start reading. Last week, uh, I heard from a little bird that they were reading a passage which lines up very closely with what we're reading today. You were in Luke 12. Do you remember that? In Luke 12, 4 through 7, I want to read you something that shows um, what God is calling us to as far as fearlessness. I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So is fear good or bad? We know that God tells us not to fear, and yet he does say, but fear me. And so there is the fear of men, and then there's the fear of God, which brings freedom um, from the fear of death. And God's faithful ones are able to triumph 
100% of the time, regardless of whether it's going to be death or it's going to be life. You remember what the Apostle Paul said, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have the same perspective. They say, he will be able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we're not going to bow down. Before I move on to what happened next, and we find out if they died and went to be with the Lord in heaven, or, or if they were delivered, I can't resist sharing one thing that, um, that Mitchell came across and shared with, with me. Now, it's interesting in the church, this is connected to prayer, and based on what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Um, when it comes to prayer in the church, you often have two groups of people. You have a group of people who say, you know, you just need to, to trust, believe 100%, and ask God for something and claim it like, it's, you know, like I've already got this, and it's going to be yours 100% sure. And then you've got other people who look at life and they think, you know, that doesn't seem to happen all the time. And they know that we're supposed to pray according to God's will and that God's will may be different from the thing we're asking. And so this group of people will come to, to the Lord, maybe tentative about asking for something, but saying, let your will be done no matter what, let your will be done. Now, it's an interesting thing you see here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they didn't make this choice of one or the other because basically they say before the king, God can deliver us and God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're going to trust him. And so just want to propose to you that in your prayer life, you can have a both and. You don't need to choose one of these camps. So that was, that was free, a little aside. <laughs> so did God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I, if you looked at the um, skit that we did, you might have an idea of what the answer is, but let's read about it in verses 20 to 30. Then he, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the Lord's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. And the hairs of their head were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire was, had come on them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. 
and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue you in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, what a triumph for these three friends of Daniel. And we might be tempted at this moment to say, let's make some statues, one for Shadrach, one for Meshach, and one for Abednego. They can be our heroes, but if they were here, they'd say, no way, don't do it. (laughs) That would be the worst move. Didn't you notice that there was a fourth person in the fire with us? All of the glory for this amazing miracle goes to the Lord. All of the glory goes to God. So in the end, there is only one big hero for our lives. What a conclusion to the story. Imagine if you've been in the crowd and you were watching as they got thrown in. And I'm sure some people, they were probably happy that these guys were being thrown in the furnace. The, the ones who really had gotten into what Nebuchadnezzar was doing and saying, and maybe they had power from Nebuchadnezzar, they'd feel envy. And they're like, yeah, let them die. They deserve it because they didn't bow down. But I almost guarantee you that there were some people in that crowd who when they heard that these three men hadn't bowed down, they thought, You know, I knew in my heart I shouldn't be bowing down either. And so those people would be looking with horror and with pity. And they'd be thinking, wow, I just wish they didn't have to die. And imagine you're looking in there and then you see they're not dying. These guys are alive. And not only this, but it's so clear that this is a miracle of God because there's this person like a son of God who is in there with them. And just the the thrill of that moment, which Nebuchadnezzar was caught up and he was so excited about it, even though he's the one who had instigated the whole problem. I think it's interesting to make a comparison between the fourth man in the fire and the statue out there in the plain of Dura. Because that statue is, when it comes down to it, cheap and gaudy and the worship that it was receiving was fake because people were just worshiping their own power. They were doing it out of fear or out of a desire to be more powerful. But then think about how Jesus comes into our life. So so many times it's in a quiet way. And oftentimes it is in a moment when we're suffering, when we need him most. And he just comes in very unassuming. And yet he is calling us to trust in him to have faith in him, and he wants to walk beside us. He's just so different from this kind of human earthly power. And Jesus is with us in the fire. And he's going to be with us in the fires of our life, no matter what they might be. And then the main fire of our life is going to be death at the end. And he's ready to walk with us through the days as we get close to death and then as we go home to be with him. Now, when you think about this furnace, The furnace was heated up seven times more than than normal. Actually, I think if you'd have had a thermometer there, it probably didn't get seven times as hot. But the number seven is a number for perfection. And so what it means is it was heated as hot as possible. And the furnace, as it appears in Scripture, is a reference to hell. It's It's a reference to judgment. And so even though this is a judgment which was created by Nebuchadnezzar, it can represent the judgment which is going to come at the end of time when, um, when God um, 
sends people into eternal damnation. And so, as they, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, had to come close to this and pass through it, one of the amazing things is that not only did they survive, you know, with their clothes torn or burned and their hair singed, but they came out completely pure, untouched. And that is what Jesus is able to do for us. That's the way he's able to take us and to escape us from the fires of hell because of his justice and his righteousness. Because all of us, when it comes down to it, in our own flesh, we desire to die separated from God because nobody has been good enough for him. And so we all deserve this punishment. And yet Jesus in his compassion has come. And unlike the fourth man in the, in the furnace on that day, Jesus, the fourth man wasn't touched by those flames, but Jesus was touched by the flames. And he suffered and he took all of that punishment for sin on us so that we can be free and that our clothes don't have to be damaged, that our hair doesn't have to be singed, and that we, by the grace of God, can have eternity with the Lord and the, the joy of being in his presence. So we have good news and we have a big hero who has overcome everything that we might face. Um, before I close, I just want to give you one last image that I hope you can carry with you through the week. And it's an image that um, we see in the Old Testament and then again in the New Testament. And if you picture, you can just imagine together with me, close your eyes if you need to, to picture a big plane. And it's like the plane of your life. And on that plane, there are various construction sites where different idols that you've had in the past or that you might tend to have in the present. They're being constructed with different faces on them, different things that the world is bringing before you that they're saying, if you worship this, then you're going to be happy. But as you look out across that plain, notice that right in the center, that there is an oasis. There's a fountain that is flowing. And around that fountain, there are trees. And it's a beautiful place that you're being beckoned to. And in the book of Isaiah, the prophet says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you give your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. And now if we move forward to the New Testament, there is a feast when Jesus came and everybody was waiting to see if he would stand up and speak. And on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his heart are going to flow rivers of living water. That's what God offers to us. The oasis in the middle of the dry field of idolatry. And that's the place that we can live as exiles. We can live there all the time. It's not a place you have to go and leave. You can live there and miraculously as you live there, you can be at work. You can be in your neighborhood. You can be with your family. You can be with people who are very antagonistic to your belief and people who are close to you. 
but you can be beside Jesus drinking from that fountain. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you invite us to drink deeply from you and that we don't have to bow down to any idol, any small idol or any big idol. We don't have to bow down to the image that we have of ourselves. And Lord, we ask you, because we don't have the power in ourselves, that we could die to ourselves and that we could experience you day to day in more and more powerful ways. Lord, we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.